1st, and some of you winter snow-hoping people are on your last hope, your last gasp breath that there may be any chance of snow. I just don't think it's coming. I say that to jinx it, and next week we'll have two feet, but uh, I think that uh, we may be in the clear. So it should say March 1st there this evening. As we get started, make sure you have one of those. Uh, you can follow along uh, with this evening's message and a number of prayer requests that we will uh, cover in just a little while. Uh, by way of announcement, um, and I don't have the announcement in front of me, uh, but there are some invitations on the back at the Welcome Center for the ladies' meeting next week. It's a little different than a uh, ladies' meeting we would normally host here. It's a ladies' night out. And so next week, uh, Tuesday evening at 6.30, we'll be going to one of the local Italian restaurants in the area. We have kind of a room set aside for our ladies, and so I hope you'll plan to come and attend, invite a friend, and bring them with you. Use one of those invitations at the back at the Welcome Center. You can sign up online uh, or um, at the sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center, either one. And uh, there's kind of a limited menu that they serve when they have a big group, and so on the back of it, it tells you what they'll be uh, serving that evening and don't if you have one in your seat don't look at it too much because you may end up hungry before we leave but uh, those are there at the back that's coming up next Tuesday March uh, the 7th and that's at 6 30 uh, in the evening and we won't meet here we'll just meet there the address is listed as well and uh, that's for any ladies or girls uh, from our church and any friends that you'd like to be a part of that as well let's open with a word of prayer tonight and uh, as we do uh, ask the Lord to give wisdom and grace as we look to finish out another portion of his word tonight. Lord, we are uh, thankful that we can come before you, that we can call you our father, uh, that we can call you our friend, that we can call you a, a comforter, uh, but also a fortress, uh, a rock, a defender, a warrior that uh, battles over and for us, and uh, we're thankful that you keep us safe not just physically, but that you guide and guard us spiritually uh, from harm, and that we know that if we are Christians tonight, we are safe in you, and we, we praise you for that. We rejoice in it, uh, to know that regardless of what the day holds, or the night, or the next week, or month, or even this year, throughout our lives, we know that we can trust you, and that regardless of what comes our way, that you have uh, our good in mind and that you work all things to that end, and for your glory's sake. Help us tonight, those that are gathered here, that uh, we would rejoice in you, worship you. Our songs would be that of thanksgiving and praise, that our prayers would be uh, sincere and uh, heartfelt, uh, but most of all filled with faith and trust in you. And as we open your word, may you give us wisdom as we look to a portion of scripture tonight that will encourage us to be encouragers, to encourage us to be uh, loving, hospitable, and kind as Christians. And so we pray that you would work in us. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds tonight and fill us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. Amen. Well, take your Bible tonight. Turn to Third John. Third John. Anybody want to guess what chapter? You guys have been learning these last few weeks as we walk through 2 John and 3 John. 
There is but one chapter, and you know that our chapter and verse separation or distinction in Scripture was not put there by the original writers. It's not something that God inspired them to put in there. But I am glad that along the way, as they were placed there, uh, that it helps us organize. Because it would be really difficult. It would feel like I was reading a legal document if I said, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, fifth article, third paragraph, fourth line, second word. That would be difficult. And so I'm glad that they give us chapters and verses. But you see here uh, that uh, these are very short epistles or letters that are given to us. And so there is just one, there's not even a chapter distinction, it's just the letter uh, given to us. In fact, I don't know how your Bible is laid out. Most Bibles are laid out in two columns, short column form. My Bible is sort of laid out like this, it's in paragraph form, and this is Second John, this is Third John. So it feels like I'm just reading a letter that someone wrote or typed to me. And you see there, uh, we mentioned the last few weeks, less than 250 Greek words in the original that are given there. So they're both very brief epistles, and so they're not ones that we come to all that often. One, you can cover them fairly quickly like we have these last two or three weeks, um, but they also, we mentioned the last couple of weeks, they're a uh, very similar tone to the first letter that John wrote. And remember uh, that the distinctions that are written, these are some of the last books that are written in all of Scripture. You're now about 90 A.D., so you're about 60 years or so, getting close to 60 years since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John is probably, at this point, the last living apostle, at this point, almost certainly the last living uh, apostle that walked the earth with Jesus, saw him, witnessed him with his uh, very eyes in that way. And so John writes these books. Most likely he writes them not long, within a year or two, they think, after he wrote 1 John, and within about four or five years of writing his gospel account. He also writes uh, the book of Revelation, most likely within a year or two after these. We gave some distinction that 1 John is written to, it seems, to a church. It's written actually probably to a group of churches, primarily the church at Ephesus, but then is quickly passed around to a number of churches, and that God inspired it, and so it is held, it's preserved even for us, because it is helpful, it's His Word to His people. And then Second John is written in a unique way. Notice it says, to the elder unto the, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. That's who Second John is written to. We discussed that quite possibly could be a church congregation, but there's some clues that give us that most likely it is very straightforward. It is to a lady and to her children. And so a family, if you would. Now look at me, what at Third John... And it says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, or Gaius. That is one man's name. And so it's even more of an individual letter than the first two were. And so now John is writing. So I say, how do we get these? Because the Holy Spirit inspired John to write these. And they were held by his church. They wouldn't have just been read only by this one man. And then somewhere along the way, it slipped out of his folder somewhere. And somebody picked up and thought, oh, this is good. It'll go in the Bible. Well, very quickly... It was spread to the churches throughout that region of the world and then even around the known world at that time. And it was found to be helpful and it was found to be inspired. And so we have it, although it is written to an individual, 
it is written to us as well. And it carries a very similar theme and idea to what we've been studying the last two weeks in 2 John. Remember back in 2 John when he writes to the lady and to her children? And remember, he's confronting her about an issue. He's confronting her about uh, something that he has heard that is going on in her life. And we even said it this way. We say, it's a, you could use a term, it's a mistake that she had made. She had shown hospitality, not just kindness and being nice to false teachers, but actual giving support to and influence to false teachers. And he made the distinction, not just somebody that taught something a little different or had a different idea or a different thought on something, but it said that they did not teach the doctrine of Christ. They did not believe that Jesus had come in the flesh. It was a common belief at that point that he may have appeared to be a man, but he couldn't have really been a man if he was God. And John says, if there's someone like that teaching that, here's how you handle this. Yes, you are to be loving, but we also walk in truth. And he combines the two. He says, truth without love become, can become belligerent, can become overbearing, but love without truth can then lose all of its actual meaning. And I want to look very quickly at one verse in 2 John, and then we're going to read this third epistle together. Look at 2 John chapter, or verse number 5. It says, <clears throat> Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we what? Love one another. So he's writing her to tell her, be careful how you handle false teachers, but he's telling her this in love. Remember he commended her, those first three verses gave us an example. How do you deal with someone when there's disagreement even within the church? And remember, he starts with his love for her, God's love for her, all of the church's love for her. He establishes we are found in truth. We can figure this out together. And then he encourages her for the growth that she has. So he doesn't just belittle her and undermine all that God is doing in her life because of one issue or mistake, but rather he speaks in love. Now look at verse 6, and with this in mind, we're going to read Third John uh, as well. It says in verse 6, and this is love. So what is the love he's talking about? This is love that we walk after what? His commandments. And isn't that an interesting truth that he says, love others by obeying God. And sometimes we think that those two counter each other, that like if we really obey God and follow his word, then we're going to be mean and hateful toward others, or our relationships will be broken with others. If we really follow God, then we're not going to be able as loving as maybe someone else wants us to be. But he says the best way you can love other people is to first love God enough to obey his word and his commandment to you. So with that in mind, look at 3 John <clears throat> verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. You notice the, the warm way that he speaks to those that he is writing to, these that are his brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, this is most likely not John's actual physical son, but it does show you the care that he had 
toward those that he ministered to. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our true record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Greet the, greet the friends by name. Ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, give us instruction from your word, reproof, correction where it is needed, and rejoicing is in obedience you give us the opportunity to worship you by our submission to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice tonight, it's a fairly simple outline in terms of points number one, two, three. The letter references three different people. It's written to one person. It references three people. And very simply tonight, we're going to take these three different men, a tale of three men, if you would. And we're going to look at their responses to the truth that had been given to them by God through his word and through those that were teaching and the apostles and those that were over them. How did they respond to God's truth? When you think about in both of these letters at the end, John is brief. We say, why are they so short? Well, one, they're sort of redundant's not the right word, but they are reinforcing what he has already written in 1 John. Notice some of the themes in these last two books that we've studied. They're very similar to 1 John. If you, lo- if you love God, you're going to love one another. If you love God, you're going to obey and keep his commandments. If you say you love God, but you are at odds with your brother, the truth is not in you because God says if you love him, you will love others because God is love. And because God is love, not because we have earned his love, but because he first loved us. And therefore, others don't earn our love. We love them because of the love that God has toward us. And you see that over and over and over again. So they're reinforcing truth that he's already taught, but he also addresses in the last two verses of both of these letters, he addresses the fact that he's going to be coming shortly to speak to them. And uh, so he must have been very unlike probably myself and many other preachers. He said, I'm just going to tell you just something short, and then he actually kept his word. So he says, I'm just going to tell you something short because I'm going to go talk to you in person in just a little while. So because he's coming in person, he identifies not just, not, not a whole slew of different things, but one particular topic, if you would. And we're going to look at that tonight. And he's going to teach us the truth. Truth is the emphasis of the letter. Look in verse number one. It says, whom I love in the truth. Look at verse number 
2, he says, Even as I so prosperous, verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Look at the end of verse 4. That my children walketh in, uh, walk in truth. That's also at the end of verse number 3. Verse number 12, he talks about Demetrius. He says, had a good report of all men and of the truth itself. So truth is a core of the book. Everything centers around this truth. Well, what is truth? God is truth. And whatever he tells us is truth. And whatever he gives us is truth. And so it all centers around. For, for these people who at this point have the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures are beginning to be compiled and refined and it's becoming clear how God inspired them and so portions of that they had and so that would be their truth for us it is the complete and whole word of God that is God's truth to us and so how do we respond to it so I want you to look at these three people if you would this evening and uh, two of them are good examples for us and would be commended to us and then one of them is not and so again tonight looking at the thought of truth but through the lens of love. Would you look number one at this man named Gaius or Gaius, however you'd like to uh, pronounce it. There's some discrepancy back and forth on that. Now there are other uh, people named Gaius throughout scripture. Uh, there's one reference in the book of Acts. There's one that lived in the church at Corinth. And you say, well, is this the same guy? It's impossible to know. Uh, Gaius was a very common name in the Roman Empire at that time. In fact, if you go back and do a little bit of study there's about 18 to 20 different names that parents would name their children within this portion and time of the Roman Empire. 18 to 20 names. If you had a, a male son, there's about 18 to 20 names that, that would be their primary name. Then there's other surnames and other ways that those names would be combined to other names. But the root names. Now, how much easier would that be than in today's world where you can look up an encyclopedia of names. You can go online and find a myriad of names. You can just put letters together and make whatever name you would like to for your child. But this is a fairly familiar name is what we're trying to get at. So there's really no way to know if this is the same man in any other portion of Scripture. I tend to believe probably not, because if you have an adult man that is addressed in the book of Acts, written dozens of years before, decades before, same thing with uh, the book of Corinth as well, in, to the Corinthians as well. And now you have decades later a man being referenced. It could be, but I think it's probably someone a little different. And so now you have this letter that's addressed. And notice he's addressed with this personal loving tone. But notice how he responded to the truth of God's word or to the truth that had been brought into his life. And you see, first, he absorbed it and he loved it. Look in verse number one. He says, well, beloved guys, who I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. Now, I'll put a little side note here about that. Can you imagine if this could be true of us? He says, John tells him, he says he loves him, and he says he wishes him the same physical health. He wishes that his physical health would match his spiritual health. Now, I want you, I want you to think about that for a moment. He says, I, 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 my only hope for you could be that you are enjoy that your physical body is as healthy as it seems your spiritual life is. Now, let's do that in our own life for a moment as a measurement. Would you be happy tonight if your physical health matched your spiritual health? Would you be would that be a good thing for you? 
Would you be strong and robust and, and growing and nurturing <coughs> and working out, if you would, in your spiritual faith so your physical life would be strong or would be weak and anemic, unable to do and unable to go? And so he says, I hope that your physical health is as strong as your soul or your spiritual health is prospering. And then he goes on in verse number three. He says, for I rejoice greatly and brethren came, notice this phrase, and testified of the truth that is in thee. When people came around this man, it was evident that he had absorbed the truth. Now, there's not a lot of positive examples that I could give you of this, but I'm going I'm to use a negative example in a positive way. Have you ever picked up a sponge that had sat for quite a while and had not been wrung out? And whatever it had absorbed, it had taken in and it had kept it for quite a while. Uh, our kids have spilled milk from time to time. Okay, I'll be honest. I have spilled milk from time to time and wiped it up quickly and set the rag in the sink and left it there during our vacation trip that we went on. And you get home and it is obvious to everyone around that rag, to the whole room, to the whole house, it is obvious what it has taken in and absorbed. It's evident. Why? Because you can smell it. Some places you can see it almost, it feels like. Your whole body revolts against what... It, now, think about that in a positive way, that if it could absorb something nice and good smelling, I guess a rag that has just had cleaner sprayed on it or whatever it is that you'd like, whatever it has absorbed, it puts off as evident. The same should be true in our lives. And it's true of this man as it's listed here. He says, when people are around you, it is obvious that you have absorbed the truth. It is in you. Well, how is that evident? And ask yourself tonight, are you absorbing God's truth? It's in his word. You will get his specific truth and will for your life. You will get nowhere else. God may speak to you through his Holy Spirit. He may influence your life in that way. But he's going to do it through the influence and truth of his word. He's not going to do it apart from or outside of that. And so if God is working in your life, and what, and what I mean by that is he's not going to say something contrary to his word. We have to have God's truth in our lives. So how do they see it? And you see the second part. He displays that truth. It was not enough for him to know it, but now he walks in it. So notice the description. They say, we know that your truth is in you even and notice, here's how he's saying this. We know the truth is in you because of what? Because thou walkest in the truth. So not only was it evident from his speech and just being around him as a, his demeanor and his attitude toward them, but also now his actions. Walking is talking about a display of his daily life, his actions, his lifestyle, his manner of living displayed and was affected by God's word in his life. It, it does no good for a Christian to take in God's word, but then not live it. It does no good to have truth, but not apply it. And that's what is commended here in this man's life. He says he absorbed the truth, but then he displays it. God does not call us to know the truth only, but to walk in it and to live it. So ask yourself this question tonight in application. How different would your life be today? without the truth of God. So, so the way you lived today, what you did at work, what you did at home, what you, 
heard or how you responded to the things that you heard. What you saw or what you see, what you chose to see and how you responded to those things. Would there be much difference in how you live this week if God's word is not evident and working and moving in you? Now there's certain principles. As Christians, a lot of times we have a basic sense of the morals of Christianity or the right morals, at least within the culture of a church or a, a moral people. But I mean, actively living. Did you respond to your wife or to your husband today in a way that reflected or walked or displayed the truth of God's word? Did we parent in that way? Or would we parent any differently if we didn't have God's word? Would we work any differently if we didn't have God's truth? Has it been applied to your heart? God uses this type of life, notice, to encourage others because it says, he says here, they came back and told me, man, this man has been changed. <laughs> it's refreshing to be around him because he just exudes God's word, his truth on people's lives. And then notice how he responds in verse 4. So I have no greater joy. This brought joy to John the apostle. I have no greater joy than to hear that you're walking this way in truth. And then notice, the next, he helped to spread the truth. So not only did he absorb it and then display it, now he sends it out to others. And he does it in a particular manner. What a good example for us as Christians. This is a very small little letter of God's word. But how, if, if all you get tonight is that you should take God's word, you should absorb it, you should display it, and you should be a part of sending it around the world and giving it to others, we should be able to close up shop and go home. That's good truth tonight. We're not going to close up just yet. We're going to walk through the rest. But that is great truth of God's word. Notice he was known for his hospitality, but he was known for doing these things faithfully. In verse number five, he said, Beloved, thou doest faithfully. He says, this has been proven that you're, just, you're doing this over and over and over again. Not just to people that you like. Not just to people that can repay you. Not just to people that you get some sort of benefit from this. But you over and over and over again have responded in this way. How is it? Notice, he says, whatever you do to the brethren, whatever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Notice he's saying this. Now, there's some discussion that could be had here. Does this mean to the people that are the Christians and the brothers in Christ that he knows and loves that are in his church locally, that are his friends, and he's also doing it to other Christians, the the teachers that are traveling through, the missionaries that are moving through, is, it, is that who the strangers are? Or is he literally saying to brethren, like those that are brothers and sisters in Christ, and to those that are outside the body of Christ? It wouldn't matter because Jesus calls us to do both anyway. He calls us to do this to Christians we know, to Christians we do not know, and then in a, in a certain way to those that are lost and that are unbelieving without him. Remember the... the Commission in Second John where he says, be careful who you bring into your home. He's not saying there, we talked about this last week, he's not saying don't have anything to do with unbelievers. If somebody's not saved, don't talk to them, don't be around them, build a compound and keep them out. He's not saying that at all. But rather he's telling them if they teach a Jesus that is different than what the truth of God's word tells you, then you should not let that person influence and you should not support that person in your life. But we have commands all over Scripture to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, being everything about you, 
And then the second command that is attached to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is your neighbor? And Jesus, of course, answers that, that all men <coughs> may be our neighbors. And so he lives out this way, not just to those that he likes or that are like him or that he naturally gets along with, but even to strangers, those that it's a little awkward at first. Verse 6, which have borne witness, notice this phrase, of thy charity before the church. Charity, that is a word for love, but you can even say it this way. It's love in action. It's not love in emotion. It's love displayed by how he's living. So he says, you have taken God's word into your life. It has changed you, and you're living that out in front of others. And one of the ways that you're living it out in front of others is by your hospitality toward them, by your acts of love toward those that you know that are within the church and even those without, those that travel in for a time, those that you have never met. Why? Because God has called this man to love others as he loves himself, to not be anchored in what he can hold and what he thinks is best in this life or those that agree or are just like him, but all of those that God calls him to love and he serves them in this way. He says, of thy charity, your charity is known before the church. Notice, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Now, let's not blow through that phrase. It's kind of backwards from the way we might normally phrase it in our English language today. But literally, he's just saying, you would do well. You do well. You're doing good things by helping them on their journey in a godly way. By doing God's work in their life as you send them on. Now, this can be applied in a lot of different ways. Obviously, very quickly, we can even think of missionaries that we as a church, because notice he goes on and he says in verse uh, number seven, because that for his namesake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So he's obviously speaking here of Christian preachers, teachers, church planters, missionaries, ministry, those that are ministering, that would go from city to city to preach the gospel. And he says they're going there, unlike all the other Greek philosophers that will travel to a place for a time, or even those that claim that they were Christ teachers and were not, they were false teachers, who would come into a city and kind of like they would sell their wisdom like you'd sell snake oil, and they'd make a profit for a while, and they'd get put up in nice homes, and they'd be fed lavishly, and when they'd go to the next city, a great offering would be given to them, and they'd go on their way. They said, these people have done this not for their own gain and glory, but for God's glory. So when they've gone in somewhere, they said, no, 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 don't give us any of that. We want to give you something. We want to give you the gospel. And it's an example of why even our missions work today work the way that they do. We don't want to say, well, great, you want to go start a church somewhere? And if someone does this, it's not the worst thing. It's not the end of the world. But we have an example here that it's not just, well, go, go, get a job somewhere and start a church. We'll pray for you. Hope you do well. No, we will give to you so that you can then go give to others. And so here he displays that, and he helps them. And notice the final phrase in verse number 8. And you notice there, it says he's motivated by the glory of God. But notice the end of verse 8. That we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And I want you to think about this tonight. That however God calls you to serve and minister... Now, I don't think he does it this way exclusively. Like, the only thing that you should be doing to spread the gospel around the world is putting 
some money in an offering envelope and putting it in the offering box at the back or giving online or whatever it may be, putting it in a missionary's hand. If that is the extent of your evangelistic outreach in this world, then we've missed something. But that should also be part of our missions outreach for the world. But notice the way that he, I love the way he phrases it. He says, guys, you've opened your homes. You've given people meals. You've sent them away with offerings. You've let them stay for a while. You've encouraged them and built them up and, and lifted them up and, and done what you could to try to help strengthen them in their faith. And that makes you their fellow helper in the truth. That when you, they carry then the truth around the world, you have helped them be a part of it. It makes me think of an example, and I, I believe it's First Samuel, I think it's chapter uh, 30, I'm kind of trying to picture in my Bible, I believe, it's in, I believe it's in chapter 30 where David goes out and they go, to, they go to war, they go to battle, and there's like 200 men that follow after David. It says that they fight with him until they have no strength left, and they win the battle, and they take the spoils, and when they take it back, there's all these people that gave them things, whether they gave them food and weapons and supplies, and they sent them on their way. They didn't go into the battle, but they were part of it in that way. And the men come back and they said, we're going to give them a little bit of food so that they can survive, but the rest of this we're going to take for the people that actually fought. And David says, no, 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 no. We all did this together. We all won together. And it kind of is a little bit of a, an example of how we serve the Lord together. There are places, and not just in missions work, there are places that Philip can go and people that he's going to talk to, that Chris or Rob or John or whoever, there's all these people that you're going to see and minister to this week that I will not. But my hospitality and my encouragement and my serving to you this week, or vice versa, you to me this week, might encourage me enough to where when I get up and I face the week, I'm so thrilled and lifted up and encouraged in the gospel that I'll boldly tell them about the Jesus who has changed the life of me and my brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones that have lifted up and encouraged. And even in that giving of the gospel, there's this fellow helperness to this hospitality. It makes me think of William Carey, who served the Lord as a missionary. And when he went, he went, uh, I believe it was several years before he had his first convert, but when he was going back and raising support. He says, I know that you can't all go with me. You all can't go down into the well is kind of how he used the picture. You can't all go down into the well with me, but you can hold the rope. And there are places that we can't all go at one time. And there's people that you know and can witness to that I cannot, I don't have a relationship with. But when we encourage one another in the Lord, it holds the rope for those that are going, whether it's a missionary around the world or it's my church member, brother, and sister in Christ that's going to work and needs to be encouraged to be able to share the gospel in that way. I want you to notice the second person that he lists. Diotrephes, who was a prideful opponent to the truth. Now, Diotrephes was not a false teacher. He was not living in wicked, immoral sin. He was not some, committing some egregious, wicked crime. He was not caught up in a spiritual scandal. And he was not teaching false, rancid doctrine against Scripture. What was he doing? How was he an opponent to the truth? Notice verse number 9. I wrote into the church. <laughs> he could be referencing there, I wrote to the church with his letter of 1 John. He could be saying, I, I wrote a separate letter and maybe 
Diotrephes hit it. It's not given to us whether Diotrephes is a leader, an elder, a minister, or, or, or just a member, just in the sense of a lay person in the church. It's not really clear. We don't really know much about Diotrephes, but it says this of him. Who loveth, to have, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, he receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I'll remember that, meaning I'm going to recall that, I'm going to bring it out and, and point it out, the deeds that he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Now we have, there's no inclination given to us in these short few verses as to what his issue was. It doesn't tell us why he wouldn't receive the people that he rejected. It doesn't tell us what, what grounds or what motive. It doesn't tell us. Say, so what, well, what about if his false teachers? Like, what if he's trying to do what the woman in Second John was instructed to do? He's rejecting. He's not letting them in his house. There's a clear distinction made here. Because he's not rejecting false teachers that teach a different Jesus or against the Bible he is rejecting brothers. He's rejecting other Christians. And with that in mind, notice what it says. His issues began with ignoring the truth. Notice in verse number 9. I wrote to the church. I wrote you about this. But for some reason, Diotrephes, he can fill in the blank, thinks he's better than that. Diotrephes has ignored it. Diotrephes has not paid attention to it. I want to give him a nickname. Dio, whatever. It's easier than saying Diotrephes. Diotrephes hasn't followed this instruction. And so his issue began when he started to ignore God's truth. But then notice it goes deeper because his issue was pride and self-desire. It was not to hold to the truth. That wasn't his motivation. He didn't say, I'm going to reject this because it's not true. I'm going to reject this because it goes against what God is teaching me from his word. He says, I'm going to reject this. Notice, because he loved to be prominent. Preeminent means literally to hold the first place. He says, I want to be right. <laughs> I want to be the one that's right. I want to be the one that's considered above. I want to be over these things. And when they get out of my control, I don't like it. He's uncomfortable when someone is different than him or when someone does something different than him or just when someone different than him has influence. It makes him panic because he is not motivated by the glory of God, but by the fame and glory of self. His desire to be first or greatest puts him in direct odds with the position that Colossians 1 tells us who's to have the preeminence, but that in all things he might, Christ might have the preeminence. He did not acknowledge. So it started with he ignored truth, which affected his heart, which then affected his actions. So he doesn't acknowledge or receive others, uh, other Christians, in particular those in leadership. And notice the way that John phrases it in verse number nine, or, or verse number, yeah, in the verse number nine, he receiveth us not. I think that John is taking an example from Jesus when he says this, because it's not that they're rejecting, he's rejecting John to his face. John views it this way. He is rejecting real brothers and sisters in Christ. He is breaking relationship with real Christians. And so here's how John phrases it. He doesn't receive us. He doesn't receive us. Now, again, I don't think that means John in person. John's grouping himself with the whole, which he got from who? When Jesus is commissioning his 
disciples and he's sending them out and he says, hey, look, if someone rejects you, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Think of Matthew, or at the end of Matthew, he's going to give a parable and uh, Jesus is going to say, you know, the king, he's going to give the example of the king and the banquet and those different things. And remember the verse, he says, that which you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. And so he says here, you've broken relationship with Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. And then his action of rejecting turned over into more. Notice verse, or the next thing, his attitude led to actions. He began with empty accusations and talking nonsense. That's a kind of a weird word there. It's just prating against us with malicious words. Philip and I were talking a little this afternoon. I said, I'm just curious. Sometimes I'm curious how much we need to explain a word. I said, what does prating mean? He showed his brilliance. He pretty much kind of knew what it was from something that he had heard to prattle, I guess, was the word that he had kind of talked. It just means kind of a lot of words, a lot of fluff, a lot of words, a lot of fluff. Just bubbling up nonsense. Literally, the two, the two parts of the word together means to bubble over or to boil over. There's, there's really no sense to it. And you put a pot of boil, boil a pot of water, you put the generic Kraft macaroni and cheese in and whatever that evil coating they put on it that after two minutes when you turn your back, it goes whoosh and, you know, explodes all over the stove and then it stinks for three days. You know, all that kind of thing. That's, that's literally what the word means. It says, here's how he responded. He rejected brothers and sisters in Christ. And then to justify himself, he just blew up all over everybody. It's like holy vomit. Just went all over every, everybody in his life. He just said, well, they do this. He just comes up with stuff. Literally, the word infers nonsense. He's just speaking nonsense to justify his actions. And when this doesn't accomplish his desire, notice in verse number 10. He says, and he's not content therewith. He, he can't be content with this. That wasn't enough just to speak word, mean words, or just to blow up in nonsense. He went further. Not only does he not receive the brothers that for whatever reason he's at odds with, but notice this, and forbiddeth them that would. What does that mean? He doesn't just reject the people he doesn't like. He rejects the people that like the people that he doesn't like. It's this like secondary separation thing that he's doing. Notice, and so it goes on and he goes even further. He takes action. He says, he casteth them out of the church. The wording there is not clear. I don't think it means he literally grabbed them by the, well, I said they didn't have britches, by the robe and chucked them out of the church. I don't think it means that. I, don't, I think this infers he has some sort, it's anyways, he has some sort of leadership role of some kind. He has some sort of influence in which he says, I don't like these people. I'm not going to let them in my home. These people in my church, they're letting them in their home. And I don't like these people, so now I don't like these people either. And I'm going to create issue enough. Whatever he did to do it, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he went to other elders. I don't know if he was just mean enough to him eventually. Left. No matter what, his relationship was so broken with the first set of Christians that he breaks off relationship with other Christians to the place that he kicks them out of the church. Now, I don't know if that means he literally signed a piece of paper that says, you cannot come back here. But we know that that's not typically how it goes. Far before that ever happens, there's usually just lifestyle conflict enough to where someone goes away. And then what happens in his life is he says, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to have the final say. I don't like these. And he says that they're Christians. I don't like these Christians for whatever reason it is. And I don't, that means I don't like the Christians. I like these other Christians. 
everyone go away. And sometimes we feel like that's the holy, righteous thing to do. But notice John minces no words in verse 11. We're going to come to a close. Notice, he minces no words. He does not say this is like, oh, oops, you know, he got this a little long. Diotrephes, I disagree with his opinion. You know, that's the way Diotrephes would do it. It's not the way that I would do it. No, he doesn't say that. Notice, he is striking. In my opinion, this is the most striking language in the entire letter. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. You know what he does? He gives us this great example of Gaius who receives people, encourages them, lifts them up for the glory of God. And then he gives us this other guy who's caught up on whatever his issue is with these people that's breaking relationships with some Christians and other Christians. And here's what John says. I've given you two examples. One is evil. The other is good. Don't do evil. <laughs> do good. And then he closes, he that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil hath not seen God. That is powerful wording, isn't it? And so when we find ourselves at odds with other Christians, for whatever reason we think it may be, we would do well to search our hearts. We would do well to search God's word. And we would do well to seek God's will before we are content to let that relationship be broken. Because God says one is evil and the other is good. And then he closes with this. It's like he doesn't want to end on a negative note. So he gives us one sentence about this other man. Demetrius. Hath good report of all. I think this means probably that Demetrius is probably the one carrying the letter. Maybe they're not familiar with him. He's like, hey, he's a pretty good guy too. So he says, Demetrius hath good report of all men. Notice this, and of the truth itself. He says, this man has a good testimony amongst people, all kinds of people. He shows hospitality to all of those that God brings into his life that he can love. And he says, his good testimony is not just based on the opinion of others, but on the truth itself. You look at this man's life, others have good report of him, but you compare it to God's word and the truth, it has good word too. Does pride threaten the way your relationship with other Christians? Let's apply it tonight. Is pride threatening? Is your own th- are your own thoughts, your own place in your mind, what you think and what you do, what you believe? Again, this is, make, to make it clear, this is not talking about people that preach some other gospel or that are anti against things, honest, clear truths of Scripture. But when pride threatens, when we are threatened, when our spiritual lives are threatened by pride. We should run to the cross where Jesus, who was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God. He didn't hold to that so tightly that he would not come as a man and follow and be obedient to death, even a death of the cross. A man named Joseph Hall wrote this. He says, the garden is a place where pride cannot intrude. For should it go there and enter, it would soon be drowned in blood. And that should be the truth in our lives. When pride swells up in our hearts, the blood of Christ should drown it out as we look to him, for example. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your word. It's good and precious. And we praise you for it. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to look, and we'll close in just a moment with a time of prayer. And
Um, I haven't done this in a few weeks, but what I like to do is in each section or close sections, just try to have all the men and boys pray with each other there that are in your section, all the ladies and girls play with each other in your section. We'll just spend four or five minutes in prayer and be dismissed. But uh, you see there are a number of different uh, prayer requests. And uh, he mentioned Sunday, the flowers here and at the back represent um, uh, Mrs. Knapp, Miss Judy Knapp. We're praying for her family and Jack and Debbie and Dr. Knapp with us tonight. Be praying for him. If I understand right, he's going to be doing some traveling uh, to some of the churches that he's encouraged over the years and um, had a part in their ministry. And so be praying for him as he uh, does that some over the next few weeks and months. And then uh, you have some others there that have been there for a number of weeks. Mrs. Sharp's daughter that we're still uh, praying for as well. Uh, Barbara Kennedy's surgery was delayed. And so uh, if you would continue to pray for her. And then um, Judy Miller's uh, niece that was scheduled for uh, brain uh, surgery. That was actually this, this past uh, Monday. So be in prayer for uh, her as well. And you see um, uh, Laurie Klima. This is Mary Martin's daughter, um, Kelly Martin's sister. You know, she's been, ha- had a cancer diagnosis, has, is in chemo and treatment. Uh, but if you would uh, pray for her, especially this week, she's been put in uh, ICU uh, with some blood clotting issues and some heart issues and um, uh, just uh, a difficult situation. So if you would uh, be in prayer uh, for each of these. And then as you gather together, um, have uh, one or two of you lead in prayer tonight. Um, and you can, if anybody has a prayer request that you'd like to share from the week or praise uh, as well, we can do that. But let's take uh, four or five minutes tonight and <clears throat> we'll have men Praying with men, ladies praying with ladies, just gather, you can stand or sit there in a group, and um, if you can do that, let's pray, we'll be dismissed in just a few minutes, all right? And uh, ready, go. <laughs> 